Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness to pray and to rest before he began his public ministry. This year during Lent, join Pastor Hook to pray and rest as we learn about our calling to be a life-changing connection to Christ in our world. So we are studying a study called Life-Changing Connection, and this is episode six. And what I'm looking at in this study is looking at the mission and vision of our church and looking at a topical Bible study that kind of reinforces what God has called our congregation to do. So that is what we are looking at. And over the last week, we looked at our mission and our vision. The mission is making loving disciples. The vision is so that we might be a life-changing connection to Christ in our world. And the name of this study is called Life-Changing Connection. How can we as a church bring people into the kingdom so that they have a life-changing connection to Christ? How can we as followers of Jesus have a life-changing connection because of the work we're doing trying to build the kingdom here on earth? And that's really what we're going to look at over the next, throughout this 40 days. And so the prayer is to look at different scripture verses, look at different examples from scripture, and then pray for our church. And then coming out of this 40 days of prayer, of refreshment, that we start to do the things necessary to build the organizational structure, the leadership structure, the programs, everything going into November where we launch hopefully out of the coronavirus forever and that we can basically operate the way Jesus would like our church to operate. And of course, whenever you're seeking Jesus's wisdom and guidance in your life, you really should spend 40 days in prayer. So that is my prayer is that we all spend time in prayer, asking God for his wisdom and his guidance to come out of this thing. And so probably more important or as important as learning these lessons from God's holy word is that we also spend some time in prayer, just simply praying, God, give us, give us more of you and less of us. And that would be a great thing. If we would all be a part of a 40-day journey of prayer, that would be phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. So that's my prayer. All right, we're going to look today at an interesting thing. We're going to look at how Jesus made disciples. He did it several different ways, but I just want to look at two examples of how he did it. And the first one is the example of Peter. So let's just take a look at Peter, Jesus calling Peter. And we're going to read from Matthew 4, beginning at verse 18. Where Matthew writes, Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers. They were Simon, his other name was Peter, and Andrew, his brother. They were putting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Then going on from there, Jesus saw two other brothers. They were James and John, the sons of Zebedee. They were sitting on a boat with their father, mending their nets. Jesus called them. At once they left the boat and their father followed. They left their boat and their follow and, they, and their father and they followed Jesus. So these are the, they're not much is written about how Jesus called the disciples. 
we get these four. We get Peter and his brother, Simon, or Andrew. We get James and John, the sons of thunder, the sons of Zebedee. There's another instance where Jesus calls Philip and another instance where he calls the tax collector. As, uh, and those are basically, those are the only times we really see how Jesus called his disciples. The rest of them, it, not a lot is written about them, but we do know that he ended up with 12. And how did he call Peter? Well, Peter was out in a boat fishing with his brother and then Jesus comes by the side and he calls him. Now, in another scripture, there's a little bit more depth. Jesus actually has a conversation with Peter and says, hey, what are you doing? Peter says, I'm fishing, but I'm not having much luck today. And Jesus says, well, why don't you throw your net over there? So Peter, for whatever strange reason, throws his net over there. There's so much fish in the net that he has to call over other fishermen. They get the fish in the boat. One of the most amazing miracles of Jesus. And so then Jesus says, follow me. And Peter's like, well, this is a miracle guy. I think I'll follow him for a while. And and notice how Jesus calls him. He, he, even here in Matthew, he says, follow me. I will make you fish for men, which is an interesting thing. I was fishing for fish for 30 years, probably around 30, the, the the age of Peter at this point, and Jesus calls him from fishing fish to fishing men. And that was a great way for Jesus to say, hey, listen, you've been doing this for 30 years. Why don't we try something new? And Peter says, why not? So Peter and his brother, they get out of the boat and they follow Jesus. And same thing with James and John. They follow Jesus too. I don't, But it doesn't say use the same line about how you're going to fish for for men, it's just hey, we're gonna go fishing. Let's 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 change the world. I think there's a movie out, maybe it's called Jesus or something like that, where Jesus says to him, "Hey, let's go change the world." <laughs> it doesn't say that here in Scripture, but that's exactly what they did. They did change the world. They completely changed the world because we know that from twelve disciples that there are billions now that claim Jesus, you know, that follow Jesus. So there's, there, it is obviously a movement that has a lot of power and force behind it. A lot of things going into it. But this is the first one, is, is Simon Andrew, Peter and Andrew, first disciples. And then they were at the beginning with Jesus, and then they moved on from there. Now, let's, let's look at Peter just a bit, because what, what is unique about Peter? Well, it's interesting, but he does have a little bit of a uniqueness with him. First of all, we know that Peter was industrious, right? Peter was already well into his career. We don't know how he learned how to fish, but I'm guessing that it must have been from his father because most people learned, how, learned the trade of their father. So Peter likely learned this trade from his father. And because his brother is with him, and they're both fishermen, that really reinforces the fact that they probably learned this trade from their father. James and John absolutely learned from their father because their father was out there fishing with them. And of course, James and John left their father out on the boat, not entirely sure how much they saw their father after this, but, uh, but they were definitely followers. Uh, they were fishermen from their father. So Peter was industrious. He'd already uh, learned how to fish. Um, from his father or maybe from his brother. Uh, Peter was a working man. 
He was not a learned man. He didn't study books and reading and all that sort of thing. He was kind of a middle-class guy, right? Maybe upper middle class because he had a profession that he was fishing and he probably went into the marketplace and, and sold his fish to people in the marketplace. And so that, because he was in a town that probably had enough people to have division of labor type of things, he was definitely a man who knew his business. I'm going to go out. I'm going to fish. I'm going to come back in. I'm going to sell some of the fish. I'm going to give some of the fish to my family. We do know that Peter had at least a wife because it says uh, in, the, in the book of Acts of the Apostles that Peter at one point was sprung from prison by an angel of the Lord. And from there, he goes to his mother-in-law's house. And so... We know for sure that Peter had a wife because he had a mother-in-law. Did he have any children? Well, the Bible itself is silent on it, but church tradition says that Peter had a daughter. And so we do know that the—and as a fisherman in the 30s, if you have a wife, you probably would have children, at least one or two, if you could. But— there's, but scripture itself is kind of silent on it. But the early church history says that he had a daughter. And so I would go with Peter having, you know, he's just a middle-class guy working out on the lake, trying to make a living for his wife and his daughter, if he has one. But he's very industrious. We know that. He also, this is following Jesus was his second career. His first career was being a fisherman. Uh, he was bold. He was fearless. And what does he do? Well, the book of Acts of the Apostles talks about how he preached, how he healed, and he brought people into the kingdom. So Jesus was all about the kingdom. And so when Peter follows Jesus, and th this is kind of, this is really what I want to get to. When, when Peter follows Jesus, he spends three years with Jesus, learning the things that Jesus was teaching you remember that in those days, a rabbi would gather around to himself students and they would live together. They would, they would eat together. They would do everything together. If you really, really, really wanted to teach something to students, this was a very, very popular way that it was done. It was the same way that was done by Aristotle. It was, a lot of the you know Greek philosophers... This is what they would do. They would bring students into their camp, I guess you could say, and they would basically live together, uh, live, eat, breathe, teach. They would do life together. Now, Peter probably never stopped fishing because I'm sure if the 12 disciples were hungry, I can imagine that the, the Peter, James, and John, and Andrew all went out into a boat or whatever and fished and brought it back and brought food to the group and different people of the group did different things. We know that that uh, Paul was a tent maker. He was a, he had learned tent making, and so he basically at times would also do that. This whole idea of professional uh, religious people, not everybody could do that, and certainly it wasn't Peter. Peter was not a professional, if you will, person. He was a person that integrated Jesus into his life. And after Jesus left, Peter still had to, at some level, feed himself and feed others, perhaps. And so 
this was definitely a second career to him. The, the, the message that Jesus taught was grafted into Peter to, to work into his life. Now, Peter may have gone to different places and people may have fed him, but ultimately Peter still had to learn how to fend for himself. He had to do that. He was not necessarily a full-time preacher, but he did preach and he healed. It says in Acts that he and John went out one day and they healed a, a lame man and he brought about the kingdom of God. This is this is how Peter was called, and it's probably how Peter lived his life following Jesus. He probably gathered people around him and spent time with him teaching about the kingdom of God, showing about the kingdom of God, and expanding the kingdom of God that way. Very, very much most likely in the way of Jesus, which is gathering people together, living life together, and expanding the kingdom that way. But it didn't happen that way for Paul. Paul is totally different. Let's look at Paul's journey. So this is from Acts chapter 9, where Luke writes, Meanwhile, Saul, at that point was called Saul, Paul was Saul, was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. So he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, which is what Christians were called back then, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he says, who are you, Lord? Saul asks. So this is a bit different. Saul obviously is an ambitious man, right? He is ambitious. He goes and he gets letters from the leadership in Jerusalem. And he's like, I'm going to go hunt down these Christians. I'm going to destroy them. That's what I'm going to do. Now, it takes a certain level of person to be able to say, I'm going to go hunt down Christians and persecute them or kill them or bring them back into prisoners in Jerusalem where they might likely be killed or at least turned from their erroneous ways. Paul was was a different kind of leader in the early church, whereas Peter was a fisherman, working class guy just out there on the lake with his brother fishing. Paul apparently had studied at the feet of some of the best teachers in Jerusalem, and he probably was being groomed for leadership in Jerusalem. And how do we know that? Well, because he says, I'm going to go and you're going to give me letters. I'm going to go to the church in Damascus and I'm going to find people who are Christians or followers of the ways and I'm going to bring them back as prisoners. This is this is how you create leadership in the church, right? You find young, ambitious people. You train them, you train them, and you train them and you send them out to do tasks for the church. And the task that Paul was sent out to do was basically to go round up these Christians and bring them back to Jerusalem where they could be punished maybe even killed like Jesus was. I don't know. But something happened to Paul when that, when that, on the way to Damascus. And the, that was basically uh, this encounter with Jesus where it says, you know, Saul, why are you persecuting me? In verse 5, well, who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And Jesus says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what to do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. 
So these friends of him led him by the hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. But in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man named Tarsus, a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. So this is a bit of a different story for Paul. Paul was going to Damascus, and Jesus definitely had said, I'm going to get this guy because he has some leadership chops. He has some street credentials. He is well-respected in Jerusalem by the church. He's the rising star. I'm going to get that one, and he's going to proclaim my name. So he's going to Damascus. Jesus calls him out, makes him blind, and then he brings out another guy named Ananias, who is obviously a follower of the way in Damascus. There must have been an already established group of people following Jesus in Damascus, and one of them is Ananias, and he says, Ananias, you got to go talk to Paul He's like, Lord, no, this is the guy that's persecuting us. We're going to do it anyway. And then Saul spent, this is continuing on verse 19. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And all those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among, among those who called on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. So it is not just that Paul went to Damascus to, to persecute the Christians, but now he becomes one of the Christians. A very, very powerful conversion story. We'll just finish this off. Verse 23. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan, and day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. So, different type of person, different type of leadership. Um, Paul was already a learned man. He was in Jerusalem at some of the best schools. He had learned about the Jewish ways from a guy named Gamaliel, G-A-M-A-L-I-E-L, Gamaliel. And apparently had learned from the feet of some of the finest people in Jerusalem. He was educated. In a way, he was almost like Moses. So if you remember, Moses was brought into Pharaoh's temple. And even though Moses was... Uh, you know, a follower of Abraham, 
a child of Abraham, he grew up in this incredibly strong community where he was taught from some of the finest teachers in Pharaoh's court. And then he went and, and led the people of Israel. Well, Paul was very similar. He was taught in Jerusalem from some of the finest people. And then he goes into Damascus and Jesus says, I want this one. And so Paul had a conversion experience and Paul's conversion experience was different. His leadership style was different. Whereas Peter spent three years with Jesus learning at the master's feet and then he was sent out to change the world. Paul was already a learned man and yet Jesus converted him. And now Paul takes all the skills and the leadership that he learned and the learning he learned from Gamaliel and all the other leaders in Jerusalem. And he takes the church completely out to everywhere. And he goes on three missionary journeys and he plants churches and he brings people together. He's very organized. So Paul's journey is a bit different. Paul is learned. Paul is ambitious. We know that he's ambitious because he gets letters of introduction and letters to authorize him to find followers of the way and bring them back to Jerusalem. And that he's just a very ambitious guy. He's very, very organized. As we find out in the book of Acts and even in the letters that Paul writes, he sets up structures. Everywhere he goes, he sets up structures. And he is... He creates a leadership structure. Um, that's what he does. So I, I just, in the few minutes we have remaining, I just want to point out the difference between Paul and Peter. Peter was called by Jesus to walk with him for three years. And he does. And then they go out and, and spread the gospel. Paul is a very learned man Already very organized, very structured, very, uh, how do I want to say this? He creates institutions to create leadership style. And that's the difference between Paul and Peter, is that when Peter moves forward, spreading the gospel and the good news of Jesus, he likely does it one-on-one. -on -one. He meets with people, gathers around people, and just teaches them one-on-one -on -one like Jesus did. Paul, on the other hand, creates structure and organization and brings people together and leverages their skill set so that they can be even better at making disciples. Now, the reason why I bring this up is because the church can do either. If the church exists in a community where they're not allowed to create organizational structures, the church will be just fine if they find people and teach one-on-one -on -one or in small groups to, to raise up followers of Jesus Christ to raise up disciples. But if the church is allowed to exist in a community, they can create organization and structure and they can leverage each other's resources to put everything together to create disciples. So we as a church, Christ within Veil, are we more like Peter? Are we, are we bringing people together in small communities to spread the gospel or are we more like Paul? where we're creating organizational structures to, to bring about the kingdom in our community. And either one is fine. Actually, either one will do the job that's necessary. I think for hundreds of years, the church created structure, incredible structure, to bring about the kingdom of God. But I would say in Western society here in the United States, for, for whatever reason— 
the a lot of people, particularly of the younger generation, are very skeptical about the church. They think that the church is all about power and influence more than it is about spreading Jesus' love. And that is has nothing to do with Christ Lutheran Veil, because I think that we do a very, very good job of trying to downplay the power side of it. But unfortunately, we are part of a of a larger church body called the Christian Church in the United States. And there are some, there are just some very, very powerful people out there. And it's all about the power as opposed to the simple message of Jesus. And so that's something to pray about for our congregation. How can we navigate the 20th, the 21st century and spread the gospel and the good news of Jesus in our context? Do we need to do things more like the way Peter was taught by Jesus? Or do we need to do things more like Paul and create large organizational structures to become more effective? Or is it some combination of the two? Do we do some things like Peter and some things like Paul? And that is something that I struggle with because Jesus was absolutely effective. It just takes a long time. Paul was extremely effective also and was able, in his short life, was able to create churches all throughout you know, Samaria and the ends of the earth, wherever, wherever he was able to go and create churches. Paul was extremely effective, but it also caused some problems because after he would establish a church, then he'd hear that the church was doing some strange things and he'd have to write letters to the church and he'd remind them of what their first love is or what, what the calling was and that sort of thing. So um, Peter was slow and methodical. Paul was fast and quick, but caused some problems in his own right. So, and Peter probably had some problems too. I mean, there's no perfect, whenever you're dealing with leadership that is human leadership, none of us are perfect. I, and so the church, the modern church today, it seems to be like the structure part of it seems to work really, really, really well for Sunday morning. We're bringing people together to worship God, to do some teaching in Acts, it says they came together for the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer, and then they pooled their resources to love the world around them. That, that really lends itself to a large organizational structure. But one of the downsides of that is that you don't get the one-on-one -on -one interaction that's necessary to grow in your faith also. And so the small group model seems to work well for that, where you bring a group of people together and they learn about Jesus and they grow together and they share their faith together. And I would say in the United States today, probably that is the model where there's pieces of Peter and there's pieces of Paul that are kind of melded and brought and introduced into the church. And um, so anyway, that's where it all comes from. And so for today, let's just um, let's pray that God leads us into the right decisions of how to create the structure necessary to spread his kingdom in veil. That would be a great prayer for you to have on your lips today as you contemplate this. So let's go ahead and close in prayer. Gracious God, give us your wisdom to put together the structure of our leadership and our congregation to do your mission in veil and beyond. In Jesus' name, amen.